Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's go. It's the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I'm on my boosters in my car. I discovered, uh, I kind of live in like in a central part of the city. So like uh, going to the grocery store, I got to go stay in the line, you know, for like an hour. Uh, so I discovered you can drive way out to the outskirts and the grocery stores have no line. So I'm doing that right now. Big discovery during this pandemic. Anyhow, you hear about the guy got got an accident, got had his whole left side cut off. Yeah, he's all right now. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right, another one that could only come from the mind of Duff McKagan or maybe Axl Rose. You never know. Uh, they definitely share jokes. I'm sure Axel has contributed a few times to the joke of the week right here on Talk is Jericho. Uh, thanks to uh, Duff for keeping us laughing while we all social distance. It made staying home all these weeks just a little easier. Uh, and speaking of staying home, looks like Guns N' Roses are going to be home a little bit longer because they just had to reschedule their summer stadium tour, which is a drag. They're supposed to be in Tampa on August 15th. I was going to invite them over for a barbecue. But the band announced just this week that they're postponing the whole thing out of abundance of caution due to the pandemic is what they said. They're working on a reschedule and we'll announce those new dates as soon as the details are finalized. Uh, something else that's been postponed tomorrow night is the Saturday night special uh, postponed for a very good reason because it's AEW's double or nothing pay-per-view tomorrow night at Daly's place amphitheater in Jacksonville or the TIAA stadium where we're going to have the stadium stampede match. Uh, we were supposed to be in Vegas. Vegas still basically shut down due to the coronavirus, So we're doing it from uh, Jacksonville it's going to be amazing. Stadium Stampede match. The first ever uh, TNT champion will be crowned. Uh, John Moxley, of course, versus Brody Lee. The crazy ladder match. Uh, casino ladder match. All the action starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or you can watch it on the Fight TV app or BR Live. And today, we've got uh, one of the finalists in the TNT championship match. Cody is going to be facing this man, the Murderhawk Lance Archer. We're going to find out exactly what a Murderhawk is. I love that name. We're going to find out how... It, how he maintains those bright red braids. And, of course, he's talking about his journey to AEW. He started in TNA, spent a short time in WWE. He's got some great stories from that run. Uh, then he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's where I reconnected with him, and then I helped bring him uh, back to the States here with AEW, All Elite Wrestling. And, of course, he's got Jake the Snake Roberts as his manager. We'll get his thoughts on that. Uh, Lance Archer here now on Talk is Jericho. So it's really amazing during the, the whole pandemic and the lockdown, and we've still continued doing our shows, but there's a group of guys that have come and made a huge impact that haven't even been in front of a crowd yet or worked in front of a crowd. And of course, Lance Archer, the murder hawk, which I love, one of the best <laughs> nicknames. But you've come in and just made a huge impact, but you still haven't wrestled a match in front of people here yet. <laughs> Not yet, man. We're, we're, I think everybody's absolutely looking forward to it. You know, we're hopefully yeah. on that right track moving forward and, you know, everybody, everything will get to, back to some sense of normality, you know, but, you know, I'm excited. Everything's been, I think, better than I could have imagined. I, I hope that the company's feeling the same way. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know, it, it's a really cool experience being in this business now, coming up on my 20th year in wrestling, you know. Gosh, 20 years. Yeah. That's amazing. Where the hell have I been, man? You know, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, 20 years in the business, and I've, I've been lucky and blessed. You know, uh, early days of TNA for five years, a, a short drink of water in uh, the old WWE, and then, uh, you know, spent the last eight and a half years in Japan with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, you know, and their company has grown and, and, and gained a, a more of a global following than they'd ever had in the history of their company. Um, but and then, obviously, what AEW has done, is doing, and will do 
um, was just too good of an opportunity for me to pass up. And it's amazing to actually be here. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun actually just being able to be me, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out who I was and then coming in here and still being able to do that and be that. You know, I think uh, in the history of my time in the business, and I think a lot of guys run into this, they run into a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. They run into a lot of, no, don't do that. No, that's too much. No, we don't like that. No, be something different. And, you know, for me, I think specifically, I think I ran into that a lot in my early career. So I didn't even know who I needed to be, what I should do. And, um, you know, I, I think I finally figured that out. And it's fun to get to come into AEW and they're just going, yes, be that, be more of that. Let's get that. And, you know, it's been fun showing the American audience more than anything who the Murderhawk monster is. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like you said, I mean, if you mentioned being in the business 20 years, sometimes it takes a while, or not sometimes, it takes a while to figure out who you are. Because when you mentioned you were in WWE for a short period of time, I think we were there at the same time. Yeah, we were. But how long were you there for? Uh, Under contract, two years, TV one. Gotcha. I was was down in FCW back before, you know, the before NXT came around and whatnot. And, uh, you know, FCW existed as a developmental territory for WWE, but it was... You know, NXT now is very visible. Mm-hmm. You know, if the guys and girls get on TV and even before it was on TV and was a part of the network, they were very visible to the fan base. Whereas FCW, you could be something. And then when they got brought you up, they could completely change you. And that mm-hmm. kind of is what happened to me when I got brought up uh, down there. So I was in FCW for like six months. And then they uh, brought me up to their the ECW product they still had at the time. Um, you know, and it was one of those deals. And I've I literally I showed up with hair as long as yours is now and. Uh, goatee braided kind of like I have it now and uh, you know big big ass biker jacket on I had this kind of gimmick this personality and uh, about five minutes before doors open you know it was just me the guy I was beating up Vince and uh, I think Johnny Ace and we're all it was four of us five five minutes of doors open all of a sudden you know they're sitting over there talking and we don't know should we leave the ring what should we do and all of a sudden Johnny's like kid come here what's up Johnny cutting your hair I was like, all right, I'm on TV tonight? And he goes, yeah. I was like, all right. And they literally took me to the hairdresser, and she chopped my hair, and they, he told them to shave my face and leave the jacket and all these different things. And it's like I still was getting that opportunity, but everything that I'd kind of created in my mind as an identity was kind of taken away. Mm. You know, and it, it is on me to go, all right, That's right, I've still got the balls in my court to a degree, but when they take it all away five minutes before doors open and then go, go – that's oh, that's crazy, yeah. Especially if you if you you're comfortable with this character and this image and this is gimmick or whatever you want to call it, and fi- like literally that night you're out on TV. Yeah, five minutes, and you know sometimes you know the, they'd bring guys they'd bring guys up on the road, throw them out there in some dark matches, mm-hmm. maybe put on a house show loop to get an idea of what they were doing and what they were doing. And that wasn't my case. I literally got called and said, "Hey, we need you for TV this week." Didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't till the morning of uh, that Joey Styles was there, and he was like, "Hey, man, we'll we'll get your info for your bio tonight." And I went, "Okay, I guess I'm debuting." You know, nobody told me anything. And then, like I said, that day, five minutes before doors, take him away, cut his hair, shave his face, basically break you down. And actually, when they took me into Vince, they were like, "Vince, is this okay?" And he goes, "All right, there we go. We're gonna break you down to build you up." Okay. I said, "Okay, you like it?" And he goes, "Yes." Get out. All right. See you later. So what was the reason for you to cut your hair? Did you ever get one? I have no idea. None whatsoever. Like I said, it was Johnny and Vince, and they were sitting there talking. I couldn't hear anything they were saying. And 
like I said, all of a sudden Johnny was like, come on, kid, we're cutting your hair. And, you know, there was there was horror stories of guys that had refused to cut their hair, and a week later they were cut from the company. Frankie Kazarian. We okay, talk, there you we, go. Yeah, I talk about it. I wasn't yeah. going to bring up the name. You know, yeah, but, yeah, we <laughs> talk about it. He's been on the show talking about it, yeah. You know, and that that's the case, you know, and, and, and TNA guys specifically, I think, were tested. You know, they'd had a couple guys that had come in before them and just really, can I say shit the bed? Yeah. Okay, they shit yeah. the bed, you know, and they didn't. They didn't live up to whatever hype. Come up, guys coming from TNA to WWE. Yeah, yeah, correctly, correct. Yeah, they'd come up, and it was just like you know they would do whatever. They wouldn't meet whatever hype they had coming into the company, and they'd failed very quickly. You know, and and not that Frankie would have ever failed, but the hair thing was a story that was passed around. That you know, becomes my dick is bigger than your dick sort of thing. Do it because I told you to. Yes, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happened. See, it'd be different, though, if they said, okay, here's the idea, Lance. We're going to cut your hair. We're going to do this, this, and, you know, we're going to, whatever. We're going to call you the accountant. Or what, at least you would know, okay, this is my new you yeah. know, direction. Have some kind of mentality. But just it. cut your hair and shave your beard and yep. go out there. Yep. You're now the short-haired, clean-faced guy that yeah. you've never been. I was big guy number three. That's what I said. <laughs> I was big guy number three in the video game. I was the make-your-wrestler guy. <laughs> You know, a uh, funny story to that. Uh, so after they cut my hair, and actually they cut my hair, and whatever they wanted to do, it wouldn't do. And they took me to Vince, and he said he loved it, whatever. Came out of the office, and uh, and I can't remember the lady's name that cut the hair. She's like, please let me cut it some more. I was like, at this point, do whatever you want. And right. Cut it super short. So I'm walking down the hallway, and uh, Michael Hayes, he's you know shuffling through his papers, and he looks up, and he sees me, and he just kind of throws his hands up and then turns around and walks off. I didn't know what the deal was. And, like, I found out later, like, they'd come down to FCW and they'd made us go through some tryout matches or whatever in front of them. And he saw something he liked. So he was the reason I got brought up to TV in the first place. And then they took away everything that he saw and liked, but didn't tell him about it, didn't talk to him about it, didn't know anything about it. And so he, the first time he saw me with the short hair, no beard, all that stuff was walking down a hallway. Oh, my gosh. Now, yeah. See, this is where we come into play, where maybe somebody said, hey, Michael Hayes likes this guy. He likes his look, likes right. the long hair. And if Vince was pissed off at Michael, it's like, oh, really? He likes this guy's long hair? Have him cut it. Yeah, I mean, no they clue. could be that petty, right? Yeah, I have no clue, man. You know, it was just one of those things. And another story was, <laughs> so I, I'd been on ECW. They shut ECW down. They brought the NXT, the original NXT product in. And then, uh, you know, like game show format, yeah, yeah, yeah the, you Nexus, know. Or, yeah. and this was, I mean, before oh, sorry, Nexus, NXT, yeah, the yeah, original, the original NXT, NXT. Yeah. and uh, but yeah, the game show aspect. But, um, so they put Kurt Hawkins and I together as a tag team, just random. Actually, Kurt had pitched the idea when I first arrived with the company, um, and then it you know, it just didn't happen. And they brought me up, and then they finally brought him back up, and they put us in a tag team together. And like, we were supposed to have all these vignettes and everything kind of getting ready for our debut didn't happen you know because the show changed all the time within minutes of the show starting and everything and uh so they were like i ah, just go out there and uh work a work a dark match and kind of get some continuity so we did and uh we're working the match and um we get done with the match and we come back through the curtain and uh, uh billy kidman's at gorilla and he goes hey man he's uh my name was vance back then he goes vance vance uh, vance archer oh vance archer archer's actually and some people question it, it had nothing to do with uh robin hood gimmick you know some people try to say that was going to be a robin hood archer i don't know but yeah. archer's actually my dad's name that's a cool name though yeah that's why i took it you know um anyway so billy's like hey vance it's like what's up and he goes hey vince likes your beard and i kind of looked at him weird and i was like what and he goes vince likes your beard and i went 
okay. And I walked away from it, didn't know anything. And then uh, I still had to go down to FCW and do stuff down there. Billy came down there and he decided to tell the story. And the whole point of the story was you never know what Vince is going to like. And that was his story that Vince piped in on the headset and was like, hey, is Vance always had that beard? And I'd see Vince every single week for the last three months, shook his hand, said hello, but he had no reason to pay attention to me. Um, now I'm on his TV screen close up on my face or whatever. And he sees my beard. He likes it. He pipes into Billy, asks him if I've had it. Billy's like, yes, sir. He's had it. He's been growing it for a while, but he's had it. I really like his beard. Tell him I like his beard. So (laughs) Billy told me he liked his beard. Like the next week we were on TV, you know, me and uh, Kurt and got a little bit of a push to start with until it went downhill. And was that basically the, mo- the most that you did was just you and Kurt Hawkins or did you do other stuff too? No, that was it. Like I said, I did a little bit of the ECW product before it shut down. Um, and then they brought in the original NXT stuff, was off TV and everything for about three months. Um, and then they put Kurt and I together and we were on you know SmackDown a few times working with each other, worked with guys like Christian MVP and whatnot and different angles. But we were going into SummerSlam, so they really didn't put us in a program. Uh, I think they'd considered us working with uh, who would ultimately become my tag team partner, Harry Smith and TJ Tyson kid. You know, we worked a few house show loops with those guys with the idea that we'd work with them for tag title stuff, but that never happened. And I think I pissed somebody off, you know, who knows? Nobody ever told me. Mm. It's one of those scenarios where one day everything's going great. Next day it's going into the, Especially with, with, I mean, and maybe you weren't as intense then, but with a guy, your size with your look and you're kind of Vince's prototype for what he likes as a as a wrestler you know as a performer i'd like to believe so but yeah. it didn't work out that way <laughs> <laughs> so what did it finally they just let you go yeah it was just one of those you know i mean i guess the writing was kind of on the wall you never know because you never know what's going to happen some guys can weather that storm and they kind of disappear and they'll come back and then they'll find success and things of that nature you know I, everything had kind of gone downhill they somebody again somebody's pissed at me for something and didn't really know what it was you know and then just it was doing less and less for TV, and then they weren't really doing anything with Kurt and I as a team. And then they randomly stuck like Gallows and I were in a tag team together that <laughs> almost they just it was a dark match tag team against the Dude Busters, uh, our, our own Trent Beretta That's or right. Trent and yeah. uh, Kalen Croft. And you know we had a we had an agent. And it was one of those moments where we we have this match. They almost cut the match, from my understanding. You know somebody was like, no, we don't even need it. And then uh, I think somebody. St- piped up for us and was like no no let them go out there and do their thing so we did it but um we have the match set and we do the match and everything's good and uh who was the agent i can't remember the agent jamie noble was our agent anyway jamie was like he pipes into the referee right after the match and he was like you know be sure to tell him good job guys good job you know the referee's telling us hey guys jamie said good job he's not gonna be a gorilla when you get there all right good so we're feeling good about ourselves went out there bust our ass felt like everything was good came back through the curtain as soon as we got through the curtain, and you know, I mean, it was just one of those days. And you know, Arn catches this, and Arn was—he was just not happy with our match. He was like, "So, damn boys, what the hell was that? You know, you can't go bumping feet for these boys. You ain't gonna do nothing." Da, da, da. He's full <laughs> Arn. Uh, like I said, you never know. You know, it's just one of those situations, and it just things just kind of kept going downhill. And came to TV, I think, a couple more weeks after that, and didn't do anything. And then, like, was uh, in Tampa, and then randomly got that phone call. Hey, can you hold for Johnny, please? And you know what that means. And, yeah. John's like, hey, kid, sorry. It's uh, just something we got to do. I want you to go to Japan, find that killer, and we'll bring you back. Well, I went to Japan and found that killer. They didn't bring me back. <laughs> Thank goodness at this point. Well, let's talk about that. So what's the transition for you when, you know, you get released, probably feel pretty sad about it? Mm. Did you go to Japan right away? Did you have the contacts there? Yeah, kind of. Uh, so 
prior to even doing anything with WWE, um, you know, I was with TNA and I was going over to Japan. You started with TNA. It was kind of your first place. Yeah. I mean, I did four years on the Texas independent scene gotcha. and then I signed on with TNA 2004 through 2009. Mm. Um, and while I was with TNA, I started going to Japan for some independent stuff, small shows called Vader time, did one tour with all Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and then I signed on with WWE. And so when I finished with that, you know, I reached out to the same people who'd helped me get to all Japan and whatnot and negotiated to go back to all Japan. And then all Japan, you know, at first was trying to offer me less money than they paid me before my WWE time. And I was like, can I at least get what I was getting paid? You know, the same. And then they were, okay, cool. Then they randomly like decided, okay, we're not, we're just not going to bring any more guys in right now. Cause we don't want to pay and blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right. And so I asked the, my contact, I was like, can you reach out to new Japan and just see, so he did, and uh, you know how this business is where you meet people all the time, and you know people, and sometimes you don't even realize you know them. They didn't know who the my contact was pitching to them. He, they just knew that it was a big old dude who just left WWE. Mm-hmm. So like, sure, we'll give him a look. You know, big guys, you know, I've always done pretty well in Japan. And uh, they did a East Coast tour, New Japan did, um, where they were in New York for a couple nights and Philly for a night, and they asked me to fly to Philly and do my – introduction and to set up my ultimate match that was going to happen on Osaka, Japan in June of 2011. And, um, when I got there, like I, I didn't even realize, but Tiger Tori, a new Tiger Tori. I'd met Tanahashi and those guys back in the day. Uh, Kojima who had been the all Japan triple crown champion at one point, And, uh, he was there at the same time I was there. So there was all these guys that I'd already met and knew. Mm-hmm. So it went from, I was going in for a one shot spot, kind of a tryout moment to like that same week I got a phone call uh, from a tour. Hey man, you know, can you just stay like maybe one extra week, two weeks, something like this? Okay. And I said, yeah, man, absolutely. Okay, man. I, I send you flight soon. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tiger. If you do, if, if anyone knows Tiger, they know that's hey, what he's doing. Hey man, what you doing? What you man? doing, man? Where's your goofy partner? That's what he always used to ask me about old Harry. It's my favorite line. I've said it so many times, but he used to call Eddie Guerrero the, Eddie, you like Mexican flamingo, big upper body, small leg. <laughs> that's very much that's, that's tiger. tiger, right? Yeah, and then luckily, just like I said, it went from a one spot shot to stay for another week and a half for a small tournament they did, and then they put me in the G one, and the G one's always been a big deal in Japan. You know, just people are just now figuring that out in the states. But like, it's a big tournament that goes for like a month, yeah. but it's very high class match is very intense and you're working every night oh yeah right oh yeah and it, back then too they used to actually do it where we were <laughs> uh one of the tours like that first one i did it was yeah uh, I, I don't remember how many shows we did and how quick of a turnaround we did like now it's more than a month long mm-hmm. and you know they, they spread the matches out and give the guys a few days off and they take care of them on the travel and stuff like that one year we did nine matches nine g1 matches Every night was a G1 match. Every match was a G1 match. And it was nine matches in 11 days. Wow. So it was G- And these are all single matches, which yes. we said they're very intense. And yes. there's a reputation that they're all good to great matches. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this was a year like uh, Goto got his jaw broke. Tenzon got his ribs broke. And this was kind of the setup to when they said, okay, we need to spread this out. Give the guys a couple days off. You know, take care of them a little better on the travel. Because you'd, you'd be on a bus for six seven eight nine hours sometimes you know wrestle the night before and now you're driving from 
you know, Fukuoka, which is way down on the south end of Japan, all the way back to Tokyo to wrestle in Cork and Hall, and then the next day turn around and drive six hours to Osaka. Right. It, it, you know, it's craziness. You're wrestling that night is what he was what you're saying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrestling that night, get on a bus, sit there for six hours, and then wrestle again that night. And like you said, the G one, which is all singles matches, it's a big tournament. You know, it's a round robin tournament, so it's not like you're a single elimination or anything like that. It's a point accumulation and then, you know, obviously you have your main event. And they used to do back then where uh, the semifinal matches would happen on the same night of the final night. And then those two guys would wrestle in the main event wow. of the same night. Jeez. Like Tanahashi, I'm sure, did it several times where they'd yeah, wrestle yeah. The, the first two matches of the night would be the semifinal matches. And then they would go on and at the end of the night, the main event would be the two, two winners of that. And it was just the intensity and craziness of that was just insane. But going back to my thing, like I said, I, I literally just showed up in the company and then they went, oh, yeah, you're coming back for the G1. And I had no understanding of what the g1 was you know i was like okay cool i've just i've got another tour to come mm -hmm. to you know and um and that was kind of the start and like for me being in japan was such a great thing because like i said they guys and girls i think so much so many times get no told to them that they kind of trying to figure out where they go like you said it takes time it took me a long time some guys pick it up quicker and do better than uh, i ever did early on in their careers it took me a long time but japan helped me because i got a lot of yes more big, more monster, more strong, do more. I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'd go out and have these matches and come back. Good job, but tonight, uh, tomorrow, more strong, more monster, more big. I was like, okay, I'll keep giving you more big, more strong. And, you know, until this, uh, the craziness of the pandemic happened, you know, um, I used to come out and I would throw water as far as I could in the audience and spit water and I'd carry like Beat up the young boys. six, seven bottles of wa water and just would empty them throughout the audience, you know, just going through the full audience. Yeah. Now just every young line that I could find, I just mow down. And I remember whatnot. when I was there, there was something that we had to do with me with Naito or something. And I, I, there was one spot where I had to hit a young boy or something. I said, can you please tell Archer not to beat up the young boys? Tonight? I, I Leave need, you a young boy. I need this spot. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> I think the young lions actually liked working with me in comparison to some of the Japanese boys. Suzuki, uh, he he never let up on them, so he'd beat the right, absolute right, living right, shit right, out of them. Right, right. But like you mentioned, you go to Japan, kind of not really understanding what's going on. Then you're told to completely be this monster, and then you embrace it and become it to where, like you said, now you're people. People are scared of big guys there if you act a certain way. From going back to Bruiser Brody all the way up. I was talking to Luther last day. They used to be terrified of him just turning around on the apron because they buy into that lunatic wrestler culture, right? Oh, yeah, the aura. I think, it, it, you know, when people ask, you know, what's my favorite thing about wrestling in Japan? And I think it's the fan base sometimes because of that, you know, it, it's, I always liken to working in the Western uh, US, uh, this side of the world, is like you're wrestling in a beehive. You know, obviously not right now because we don't have the fan base, but when you're wrestling in the States, there's that constant noise, that constant buzz, and, you know, it gets bigger and it gets smaller sometimes depending on what you're doing and how well you're doing it. Whereas in Japan, and it, they're getting a little more westernized, especially in the Tokyo area, but there's that respect level where they'll clap and cheer and yay and, and whatnot, and then they'll quiet down and watch very attently. Um, you know, and, the, you know, uh, just getting to the ropes gets a huge reaction, mm -hmm. things like that. So. Talking a about show of good sportsmanship. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. And but the character, like you said, going back to it's um, Izuka would come out and just go through the crowd, and people would run. You know, mm -hmm. they would just—I mean—dead sprint run. And you know, I've have so many little gifts and pictures of me making children just just lose their just. <laughs> 
crying <laughs> while their father is holding them laughing as loud as they can mm-hmm. you know the culture is like they, they have a thing called namahage have you heard that one so namahage the the the, the lore of the namahage is it's a it's a demon that comes to scare the children to make them cry but so that they understand that they're going to survive it and they become stronger adults huh. That's the whole premise behind it. And they have like a whole festival. Classic Japanese. Yeah. They have a whole festival and they wear these masks and stuff. And so people started calling me, you know, the Namahagi because I would come out and scare these children, you know. And like I said, in the families, instead of getting mad and offended and, you know, wanting to fight you or complaining to the company or anything like that, they were, I'm like I said, I've got pictures and gifts and whatnot of, like I said, children just losing their minds, crying and screaming. And the father just, just the biggest smile and laugh he could possibly have because that's in their culture you know mm-hmm. so it's it that's kind of some of the differences where you do that in the states you know some father's probably trying to jump the rail and fight you yeah, are you getting sued <laughs> yes exactly that's what i'm saying or they're going straight to the office and going i'm gonna sue you for scaring my child yeah. that, that just flipped me off you know <laughs> of your, your three-year-old flipped me off and now you're mad at me for scaring them come right. on so tell me more about, about how long you were in japan for and kind of your, because you mentioned that you teed with Harry Smith. You did a lot of tag team stuff. Oh, yeah. But I would always think that maybe the plan was for you to go single, which you kind of did in the latter stages of your New Japan career, right? Right. Um, look, so I was I was there from uh, June of 2011 till, you know, most recently. Jeez, almost 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, so it was one of those things where, like I said, I, my time with WWE ended, my contract ended, and then I luckily got on with New Japan right away pretty much. You know, and I started out in single stuff, was a part of the group uh, Suzuki Goon with our leader, Minoru Suzuki. And then they brought Smith in about a year after I'd been there. And they put us together and they were like, you know, we want you guys to be a tag team, two giant ass gaijins put together as a tag team. And we kind of collaborated and came up with the name uh, Killer Elite Squad. And, uh, you know, you know, especially I think in the beginning, even with Smith being, you know, a legacy in this business and his father being as revered as he is. Harry, I think, was still trying mm-hmm. to make his own name in the business, sure. as we all do. You right. know, just we have different paths, and so I think both of us saw this as an opportunity. You know, he had more success in WWE than I did, but I think he still saw this, especially with what his dad did in Japan, um, as his opportunity to make his own legacy. And now that we're in this team together, you know, especially in the beginning, we worked really hard to make the tag team big and special and fun and unique, and you know killer elite squad you know it's, it's kind of a crazy name you know killer elite squad but it, it was fun to say and fun to do and the, especially the japanese fans love mm-hmm. to say it and whatnot and you know just as things go you know we'd been together like i said we started tagging in 2012 uh three-time iwgp tag team champions two-time noah ghd champions noah's another company in japan um you know two-time nwa world tag team champions so we had a good resume as a tag team um, but, you know, as, as many tag teams do, and we were together for a long time, you know, and a lot of times this day and age, tag teams don't actually last that long. Mm-hmm. We did. The company loved us in that role, but, you know, things changed. The business was changing. You know, the, the company was growing globally. Like I said, we did two-year stint in, in Pro Wrestling Noah. We were still under the umbrella of New Japan because yeah, we were owned of, by New Japan. Yeah, we, well, we were just kind of on loan. Gotcha. The, the president at the time was helping the company and <laughs> stuff like that. So the group was sent over on loan. We were there for two years. But in that two years is when like New Japan got New Japan World and stuff like that. And then now the, the, the global audience was growing immensely. They were going to England. They were coming and doing more stuff in the States. Um, like I said, more people were able to watch them live events. If you wanted to wake up, you know, two, three, four o'clock in the morning and watch a live, you know, pay-per-view event, you could. Or you could watch it on demand. 
you know, we were they they were on access TV at the time, you know, so there was a global audience, especially in the states, that was starting to grow. And Smith and I and Suzuki Goon had been gone for two years, so even though we'd been there and then we came back, you know, people were like, "Oh gosh, where these guys come from? How long have Smith and Lance been together?" And it's like we've been together for years. We're already mm-hmm. at that time two time champions and things like that. But people knew audience a new fan base had come in and didn't know about us and so it was kind of rekindled in that but again because he and i I think had been together for so long and you know he's wanting to make his own legacy in this business and my me myself and japan i mean you've been there and you know they're very set in their way sometimes it's like this is how things are and Mm -hmm. they don't change so changing that came about i think you know Again, the, the the team wasn't getting pushed as much. You know, we weren't being used on as many tours. Um, you know, I had a, a back surgery about three years ago, so there was an opportunity for them to try to do something with Smith, and they didn't do anything with him by himself. Gotcha. You know, the, things like that happened, and then it just kind of slowly started to not be as, as prevalent as the tag team. And then, uh, you know, Smith made a business decision and decided, you know, he was not going to be with New Japan anymore. And I luckily got to have a match with uh, Will Ospreay, uh and march of last year in dallas or something no 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 this was before dallas so this is kind of i think in my opinion what kind of set up me getting my opportunity in the g1 so will and i had a match in what they call the new japan cup which is another tournament they do or do but it's just a single elimination tournament i won my first round will won his first round we were in the second round facing each other and the company knew who i was and the style i had and all that stuff and so they didn't it's not that they didn't expect much, but they thought they knew what they were going to get. And then I came out and worked with Will, who's absolutely one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And I was able to keep up with him and do my thing and make an impression that I don't think they expected to f- see. Yeah. And then so the G1 came along, and I, initially I wasn't even in the G1. I'd spoken with the company, and I was like, am I working the G1? They're like, no, you're not in the, the tournament, but you'll be at Dallas, this and that. And like less than a day and a half later, uh, Rocky Romero, who's – kind of working in the office now calls me. He's like, bro, you're in. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're in the G1. I'm I'm in the whole tournament. He goes, yeah. And then I found out, you know, that my first match was going to be, you know, the first time ever the G1 was on U.S. soil outside of Japan. It was going to be live on Access TV, live on New Japan World. And I'm working with uh, Will Ospreay in the very first G1, actual G1 match on the card and you know we went out and that was a great match uh, one of my best matches it has to be my best match that i've ever been in in nearly 20 years and you know attributed that a lot to working with will but i have to give myself some credit too that takes two guys yeah yeah. so you know it was one of those things that i think that set the present uh it set the 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 format for what they were wanting to see for the rest of the g1 and i I think i delivered Mm. so you know and everything's kind of snowballed from there and uh, last October, you know, there was a typhoon that came through Japan, and uh, there was a lot of guys, the foreigners, that didn't know if they were even going to make it to Japan. I amazingly got a flight that landed me three hours before the event started. You know, Moxley was the the U.S. champion at the time, but he couldn't, he couldn't make it. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't make it there. And the way they do their business is, if they announce a title match, even if the champion can't be there, yeah. they're they're still given a, a title match. So because he wasn't able to make it. They still had juice over there, and, and they brought me in, and they put me in that match, and uh, I became the U.S. champion that night. Um, and then ultimately, you know, Moxley and I went on to have a, a really good match at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, and it was a unique match because there was two nights of Wrestle Kingdom, you know, all these different matches, and ours was a Texas death match, yeah. which was different. In Tokyo. Yeah, in Tokyo. Uh, you know, and uh, it was just one of those things, like just 2019 was a crazy cool year for me mm-hmm. from, the, from the New Japan Cup 
all the way through the G1, the crazy circumstance of becoming the U.S. champion back in October to getting to work with Mox at Wrestle Kingdom and my biggest match I'd ever had there, you know, and, and as a singles uh, player, as they say, over in Japan. So, you know, it's been a crazy thing. And then now coming into AEW and coming in here like a ball of fire and ready to kick ass. Well, let's go back a couple of questions I wanted to you okay. went through so many things there. Was there ever any talk with you and Harry of bringing the team to the States or would you always want to just stay in Japan? No, I mean, uh, I think it was one of those things where like Japan was such a, a, a constant thing for us. And he at the time was living in Canada and I'm way down in Texas. You know, we did a few independent shots in the States. I mean, like WWE type stuff. I never heard anything if there was ever any word of it, you know, so so it was never anything like that. Um, So as far as I know, you know, KS was just going to be a... You were happy staying in Japan, so you weren't looking to come back to the States at that point? At that point, no. You know, everything was going amazing for me. Like I said, my the best time in my career was in Japan, you know, from everything that I had an opportunity to do prior to that, going into Japan, like I said, all the, the yeses and the biggers and strongers and everything that was growing and the success I'd had and... So, yeah, I was extremely happy in Japan. So it wasn't like I was looking to go anywhere or get out of there. Um, yeah, and the thing is, you, you, you have to appreciate Japan because it's, it's, it's a strange place, as we yeah. both know. What did you think of the culture and, and what were kind of some of your favorite parts about being there? Oh, man. I, it, you know, it's one of those things like, um, did you enjoy being in Japan when you well, were there? I've been 60 times, so you have yeah. to. Okay. You know? and, and that's the thing. There's some guys that can go over there and they absolutely love it. And then there's some guys, as you know, that go over there and they're just beyond miserable. Right, they hate it, yeah. Because it's such a different culture. It's a different mentality. Yes. You know, the food is so different, you know, and if you can't kind of adapt to that, it, it can be a miserable time for you. But I enjoyed it. I loved working, uh, excuse me, not working. I loved being in Japan and just the foods. Like, I love yakiniku. That's uh, a Korean barbecue where they put the meat right in front of you, cook it on the pit in front of you. Um, shabu shabu, which is just, you know, the... the, the Roast beef. Is, yeah, the slices of meat that you dip in the waters and whatnot. Uh, basashi is one of my favorite things, which people absolutely they can't believe I enjoy, and it's a uh, raw horse meat. Raw horse meat, so good! Wow, so good, man! Did you ever eat that? <laughs> I never tried it. Oh, I'm not goodness. a raw food guy. I, I, I I'm there for the yakuniku and the shabu shabu. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I didn't know I was going to be either, and it was one of those things like they brought it. Uh, they brought it to the locker room one time, like somebody delivered it, like very freshly packaged and everything. You know, very sealed and, and prepared well you know and they were like oh the guys were like oh lance try 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 funny story about that was they were like yeah try it and i was like what is it and they're like oh it's good just it's raw but i was like okay cool i'll try it and you dip in a little soy and you eat it and i was like oh it's, it's amazing it's really fresh they kind of had it sauced in kind of a sweet sauce and whatnot it was served cold you know not gamey you know you would think you know raw horse meat mm. might be gamey it's not gamey at all it's just it's very smooth i don't know how else to say it um so shelton benjamin they got Shelton to have some. And Shelton, you know, I think when he initially came to Japan, he was more of a meat and potatoes type guy, you know, he, like you, yeah. with yakiniku and basic stuff of that nature. Um, but as we were there longer, especially when we were in Noah, you know, we had sponsors that would take us out to eat and whatnot. And so a lot of times he wouldn't want to go because he didn't know what they were going to have us eating and whatnot. Well, see, here's the thing, because the sponsors will take you out, and it's a big deal for the yes. sponsor. And listen, like you said – if it's yakuniku, I love it. But sometimes they take you and they give you like this cabbage soup. And it's like, I can't eat this shit. You, the sponsor, don't insult the sponsor. I'm like, fuck the sponsor. I'm hungry. <laughs> and that's how it was. Yeah. yeah. You know, so Shelton, a lot of times just he wouldn't go. And then he started going with me more often and whatnot. And Shelton and I got, became real good friends over there. 
I think because of that, because I'd always invite him, like, hey, man, you want to go? I got a sponsor tonight. Like I said, initially, he was like, ah, what, do you know what you're going to eat? And I'm like, I have no idea, man. We just, it's, it's that Japanese surprise. <laughs> and uh, so he finally started going, and he st- started opening his mind to the different foods and s- enjoying sushis and different things like that. And so going back to the horse meat, you know, so they, they were like, hey, try it. So he's like, all right, cool, I'll try it. He eats it, and he goes, oh, that's not bad. And he goes, well, what is it? And, you know, we're both waiting to hear what it actually is. And uh, I think uh, either Desperado or Tai Chi or somebody was like, oh, yeah, uh, raw horse meat. And I was like, oh, really? And Shelton just like lost it. He's like, no, horses are pets. They're not food. They're like, no, horse very good. He's like, no. And so like from then on, if they brought any horse around, he was out. He's like, no, absolutely not. And I was always trying to get him eat it. And even now, like if I was over there and I'd get some horse meat, I'd, I'd send him a picture. And he'd be like, he's like, you're just an evil man. <laughs> How about when you you guys did the, the, the show in Dallas? You know, because once again, New Japan trying to break into the U.S. market, right. picking very strange areas sometimes. Right. You know, even when they went to L.A. the first few times, it was in like the pyramid. Yeah, I was like, why aren't you guys doing like the forum? You could sell it out right off the bat. Right. But they set the bar lower, and then it just went like the last time they were at the Galaxy Theater with six hundred people or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think initially, you know, that the pyramid that we went into uh, was completely sold out. You know, but the right. new, the newness of New Japan coming over was what was kind of selling the product. You know, people were fans and whatnot. They hadn't never seen it before, so that was the first time. Right. Um, people were flying in. Yeah. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, I think once that newness, especially in, in L.A., in the same spot, kind of wore off, the, the crowd started to, to diminish. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, they're, I think they're learning the area. They had to create a whole department you know, for that, because again, talking about that, they're very structured. This is how we do things, and we don't deviate from that. I think even the new president they brought into the company, uh, Harold Harold Mays. You know, he's not Japanese. He speaks fluent Japanese. He's absolutely understands of the culture and whatnot, but he's not Japanese. And I think that was probably specific. That was very strange. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think that was? I think it was very specifically done because they wanted a non-Japanese mindset mm-hmm. for a global company that was moving into mm-hmm. a. Uh, global business where people don't all think exactly like they do they needed somebody that could think out of their own box and i think that was that's my opinion that Mm -hmm. that that was their thinking you know we'll bring in a foreigner a gaijin somebody that we can communicate with but he can think more like them than uh, being us americans specifically and england was becoming a big market for them as well um that he could think more outside of the japanese box and help them grow their business so coming into the U.S. market, talking about picking strange places, I think sometimes it was they were learning. It's like we don't know what to do necessarily, so we'll try this. And these are places that are offering us maybe good deals to come in and whatnot. And I don't know the full story, but from my understanding, like the American Airlines Center in Dallas, you know, we were on Access TV at the time. Access was owned by uh, Mark Cuban at the time, and they got a really good deal from Mark Cuban on the American Airlines Center. You know, it benefited me because it was basically my hometown. That's your hometown, yeah, yeah. 20 minutes from my house. My family were four rows back. All these people, you know, my career more or less started in the Dallas area. So there are people that had been watching me for the last 20 years from the independence to TNA, WWE, and now New Japan uh, at that time, my whole career. So it was a really cool experience for me in my backyard. And I worked really hard to help promote the, the, the show and whatnot, sold tickets, put up posters, you know, all that old school stuff, um, doing as much as I could. And 
you know, considering it wasn't by any means any kind of sell, I think we had around 6,000 people Which in that building. It's pretty good for a Dallas New Japan show. Absolutely. But, you know, it's one of those things like there's some other buildings in Dallas. Uh, there's one in Arlington at UTA that uh, TNA ran a couple uh, pay per views. building there. we did there in Dallas. The smaller place possibly i don't yeah. there's one in uh, maybe it's it's in uh it's at the uta campus ut arlington and it's a, like a five or six thousand seat I arena think that's the place we ran in and Dallas. it's a really nice arena but like you said it's about five or six thousand seats so if that same venue or same show had been run there in comparison to the american airlines center it would have looked absolutely sold out mm-hmm. but at the american airlines center because it's so big and you know the one thing that wwe does a good job at when they're there in places like that is they if the crowds aren't as big as they need to be, they could move them all into a certain, curtains. And yes, move them to certain spots, shoot from a certain angle, make it look that way. So it didn't look yeah. that way. So no, it didn't look that way. Unfortunately, you know, because they it, they just sold the tickets as is, so it had a lot of like. Oh, so it was like sporadic. Yes. Oh wow! I think the floor was sold out, but then when you started to get into the risers, like it would be. A group of 100 over here and yeah, a group yeah. of 50 over there and a group of 30 way up there and whatnot. So it was... Because Japanese style rules are rules. Yeah. You that's can't move out of that chair. That's your seat. Fun story about that. So the G1... So when Bushiro first bought New Japan, this was years ago, they decided to make the G1 final a bigger deal. And we ran the Seibu Dome, which is, I think, about an hour from Tokyo. Um, basically, a, another baseball stadium, kind of like the Tokyo Dome, but it's an open-air stadium so you know has the has the roof over it but then everything on the outside edge is open air a typhoon came in that time and i remember we were having it and of course the ring and everything the stage is fine and everybody on the floor is fine and everybody in the first set of risers is fine but anybody up near the the top part where the the open air was when this typhoon was blowing in they had shots it was hilarious because there were people sitting in these seats with like full ponchos on just getting blasted with wind and rain and they wouldn't move and they probably wouldn't have let them move right. be like hey we're getting murdered with rain and, and yeah. a typhoon here can we go over there nope you can't that's yeah. that's not your paid for seat you can't go sit but there's nobody sitting there nope that's you can't do that that's you know? why i made the, the saying up years ago rules are rules rules are rules when you go to japan if you're a foreigner and you go over there and like, i don't understand why they're doing this because rules are rules. And it doesn't change. They follow rules. We do not. Yes. And like you said, it doesn't change. No, it doesn't change. I, have I, you ever have you ever like tried to switch your seat in, in Japan? In an airplane? airplane? Yes. I was about to say the yeah. same thing. Like I was sitting in a seat where my knees, because my legs are really long, right. and my knees were jammed in a seat. And I look back and like the doors are closed. Nobody else is coming on. Mm-hmm. The exit row is completely empty. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am. You know, and she, she brought one over, brought one of the students over that could speak a little bit English. So I said, ah, please. I was like, I showed her, I was like, uh, no space. Can I, this seat over here? And she looks and she's like, and they don't like to say no. So they give you the, so she moment, moment. Yeah, exactly. And she goes and talks to somebody. She goes like, which is, I'm sorry. She's like, plain balance. I went, what? And she goes, plain balance. And she does her hand. She shakes her hand. I'm like, I'm not going to go sit over there and throw this giant ass plane off <laughs> right, and right. crash this because I take my ass and go and sit in the exit row, yeah. which is just catty corner to where I'm sitting. But that was their reason. That's like the you said, rules, their yeah. rules were rules and they weren't going to let me do it. So I sat there just pissed off. Yeah, and then you get angry, especially if you've been there for two, three weeks. Just oh, like, angry fucking guys. Excuse me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Angry guys in. I did that. Uh, what would you like think? Let's say you were sitting in, in A and I was sitting in D and I wanted to sit next to you. Mm-hmm. 
the whole deal is like instead of sitting in this aisle seat here mm-hmm. right beside me, mm-hmm. I'm going to switch to this aisle seat. It's the same thing. It's just a flip flop. And the dude will come down like, you know, this is my seat. I'm mm-hmm. like, can you just sit here? And it's like, and they go the stewardess, they call the captain and there's, you know, the cops come in or whatever. And it's like, I just want to move from one seat to the other. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Yeah. You know, I've seen, I've seen, and, and, and uh, again, I absolutely love the Japanese culture and the Japanese people. So anybody that's listening to this, if you think it's wrong, no, we're just trying to give you examples. Yeah, exactly. I, but I've seen people on a plane, window seat, middle seat, aisle seat. Window seat's full. Middle seat with a Japanese gentleman is full. Nobody on the aisle. <laughs> Close the door. We're taking off. He stays in his middle seat. Yeah. Instead of giving himself room and not being seated, seated next to the person That's in the window. Right. And you can see the person in the window seat kind of looking at him like, you can move right there. <laughs> That's just so true. Though, it's right? crazy. So, what, uh, what led you to start thinking about uh, leaving Japan? You know, everything was a whirlwind. It was crazy. So, um, you know, we talked. So uh, we yeah, just you and I talked, right? Yeah. Yeah. We so we literally just finished the uh, the G, the tag league um, in last year. I got home on December 9th. I think AEW was coming to Dallas on the 11th. So I got home on a Monday, and AEW was in Dallas on Wednesday. And you know, I know you, I know Billy, I know so many of the guys. Trent, you know, I was getting ready to work with Moxley and the, you know Omega and all these guys that I know and they're friends of mine. And so I was like, I'm just I want to go see my friends. Like I'm not going like looking for a job. I'm not going to bother anybody. I don't want to be that guy going, Hey man, can you, can you hook me up? Can you right, me right, right, right. I didn't, I didn't want to be that way, you know, and, and things were good with me at new Japan. So it wasn't like I was in essence needing to do that at the time. So I just wanted to go see my friends. And it was one of those situations where, um, you know, I, I got to meet Tony for the first time and we had a good conversation. So you and I talked that night and we talked about the possibility of something in the future, you know, and, and it, it came to be that they found out that, you know, I didn't have a full contract with New Japan, had never had a full contract with New Japan, been working with New Japan for, you know, over eight and a half years or eight years at that point. And, and even after they, they raided Gallows and Anderson and AJ and, and, and Shinsuke, they didn't, they didn't sign you to a contract? No. Wow. But, but they did have guys, you know, and it, I'm absolutely blessed for those guys is, you know, Ospreys and Juices and guys right, like that. Right, they, right. they were all under contract. But I was a guy that had been Weird. with the company for over eight years. And again, rules are rules. They just, I think with me, they'd grown so accustomed to the fact that I was just a tour, like old school Gaijin tour by tour style, mm-hmm. that that's just how they were doing business with mm-hmm. me. And for them to change that mentality of, well, let's change that up. Even with, like you said, the, the raid that got taken away, the guys that got taken away, even with them putting some of the, the, the guys, the foreigners now under contract before me and whatnot, and there was no animosity towards them because that's just the way our business was done. Um, I don't think they thought they needed to or something. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, so that kind of came about and it was found out that I didn't have an actual contract. And I think that got some wheels spinning. And then uh, uh, AW was in Galveston the next week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had two yeah, Texas shows, right? Dallas and Galveston. I was called and asked to come down to, to Galveston. Corpus Christi, right? Oh, Corpus. Yeah, excuse yeah, yeah. me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Almost same, same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Corpus and uh, I was called and asked to come down there and, and have a conversation. And I did, I, I drove down cause I didn't have anything else to do. And it's about a six and a half hour drive from Dallas to Corpus, oh. <laughs> but, but it was a beautiful, like it was one of those things like it, it just, things were falling into place in a crazy way. Um, because like, it was like, can you drive six and a half hours to have a talk at this point in my career? It's like, I could easily go, you know what, if you really want me to come down there, fly me down there, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, you know, fine. I'll, I'll, 
I haven't been on the road in Texas in a long time. It turned out to be an absolute beautiful, easy drive, like sunny the whole way. It was just, again, everything just seemed to be falling into place in a really cool way. And again, we had the conversation and an idea was pitched and, you know, some of the, the guys and girls that have been brought into AEW have been brought in on, you know, short-term deals, see how it right, goes. Right, right, And then you move forward from that. And I was like, that's cool. I totally understand it. So the crazy thing. So um, Dallas happened that Friday is when I was called to come, asked if I was could come to Corpus Christi. Well, that same Friday morning, I received my very first full-time annual contract from New Japan that same morning and then that same day was when i was called and said hey can you come down to corpus wow yeah it was very strange like and and it was one of those things like new japan had been talking about it um a lot of the uh, foreign boys actually went to bat for me at one point in japan like why isn't lance under contract like back in the summertime when the g1 was going on so i didn't actually know that this was coming i'd heard and there were rumblings but nobody had ever gone it's coming your way expect it on friday or anything like that so like i said that wednesday you guys were in dallas Friday, I got an email offer that morning from New Japan. Friday, I got asked to come down to Corpus. That next week, you know, I went down to Corpus, had the meeting uh, here uh, at Corpus with the, some people. And uh, like I said, the, uh, the idea was pitched, the short-term deal. And I said, that's great. I absolutely love it. Um, just understand now. And I have an actual annual contract offer. I was like, and if the short-term deal is the only thing that is, in essence, offered, Please understand, from my perspective, I, I can't leave something on the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely want to do it, and if that's the route we're going to take, I'm all game, but we're just going to, in essence, have to get it approved down the road when that comes about. And then it changed. It changed to, you know what, we actually we want you here. That's great. We want you here, and here's a you know, two- to three-year offer. That's great. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think it was, it was a very tough decision. There wasn't one – it wasn't one, just wasn't one of those, okay, absolutely, I'm coming. Um, it was something I absolutely wanted to do. But eight and a half years in Japan, a good relationship with everybody there. So I went back and forth, and there was just too many pros on the AEW side for me to pass it up. You know, the, the challenge, the opportunity, the being home with my family and friends. Say that that's the hard part, of being yeah. in Japan for three weeks away from home. Yeah, you know, and that was the thing. It was like there were so many good things. I'd heard nothing from every person I knew. I'd heard nothing but good things about AEW. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool thing to hear, you know, and I, because you know the boys talk, you know, and sometimes on the surface boys will say oh it's great it's great it's great and then you can get them on the the side and they'll go yeah it's not the real scoop it's not really that great and i'd never heard that from anyone all the friends and people that i knew that i'd talked to and i'd asked and i inquired you know it's like how is it really and they were like bro best place i've ever been and it was one of those things where i just there were too many good things that were coming about everything was happening for the right reasons and you know, despite the little bit of bad language I've, I've portrayed here today, <laughs> I, I have a strong faith in God. And I, I absolutely believe that, and this is me, I believe that God was putting in place what needed to be for my right, life. Sure, sure. And that's how I absolutely believe it. You know, yeah, I agree. Too much was falling into place the right way. And then, you know, with the unfortunate situation that's going on in the world right now, that I was able to, to be a part of this before that kind of... Because your first appearance was our last... Last live TV live show. In front I'm of sorry, AEW audience. It's my <laughs> fault that the audience is went away. It's so funny because once again, talking with Luther last night, he signed his contract that day. You made your appearance that day, and I'm like, can you imagine? Who, who knows what would have happened had it gone yeah. an extra week, right? Me and me and Luther destroyed everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you find out that you're going to be put with uh, Jake Roberts? So, uh, before we showed up in Salt Lake, there was the idea was pitched for the possibility of having um, a manager, which, 
you know, initially that wasn't when I was first pitched the whole idea that wasn't brought up. So it wasn't until Austin, actually, I went down to Austin because you guys were there and I was here in Texas. I'm gonna go uh, see everybody say hello and see, you know, what information can can come about. And the idea was brought up of having a manager. A couple of different people were, were pitched. And I think Jake was kind of the uh, decided factor that just, you know, his style, his persona, his personality and mine was uh, similar but different. A very yin and yang set. You know, he's very smooth and he's very cool with how he says stuff and what he does. And the Murderhawk Monster is just very chaotic, you know, kick your teeth in and, and stick them up mm -hmm. your butt type mm -hmm. scenario. And I think that was uh, something that was kind of intriguing. You know, let's put these two together. And, and Jake, who's a legend in this business, you know, wrestling fans from every generation know who Jake the Snake Robert is. And for me, being in Japan for eight and a half years, and even though uh, New Japan had, had grown in its global audience, there's still a huge audience that didn't know anything. Sure. But even today, you know, people, oh, I remember him when he was in TNA. You know, that's how far back right. they remember. Like, Who is this guy? We've never seen him yeah. before ever, right? It's like I haven't seen him in 15 years, and it's like I didn't stop wrestling. I yeah. just was yeah. going to other places. So for me, it was, a, I think, a great transition to take somebody like Jake the Snake Roberts, who everybody knows, and he can kind of become the guy that helps introduce me Return introduced me back to the American audience. That sounded silly. Return introduced me. Have you reintroduced uh, me? Have you uh, learned from him? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, and he, he's been awesome because you know he's not he's not somebody who's come in and gone he, tries to change me or do anything like that. He loves what I'm doing, thank goodness. And um, he, but he does go, hey, try this with this. You know, try this with this, or try this little nuance here. You know, and things like that. And those are amazing pieces of advice that anybody at any point in their career should absolutely listen to and it's cool that i get to have it firsthand with him i love your debut too a lot of people are like geez that's all they did for a debut i thought it, was, it shows all you have to do is walk through the crowd yeah you know yeah and it's one of those slow burn scenarios i think we're in a, a time and culture in life that everybody wants everything to just be bam yes yeah it's like holy oh my gosh oh, you know just crazy and it's like it doesn't always have to be that way i think this was like you said it was perfect because it was a slow burn scenario right. It was, you know, he'd come out the week before and said he had a client. And then, you know, myself and even Brody at the time it was already rumored. I think they'd actually, they'd already announced that I was signed with the company. Mm -hmm. Brody was still a rumor as to be yeah. a part of the company. So the, now the internet's going crazy. Like, who's Jay's client? Is it Lance? Is it Brody? Or is it somebody that we don't even know? You know, people were just going back and forth online, which is, I think made it better. Um, and then, you know, Jake and I just slowly kind of saunter out and sit down and we're watching Cody and, you know, kind of act like we're going to get in there and do something. We decide not to. And we slowly, easily disappear. Same way we came in. So what um, what was your uh, obviously now you're getting ready for the finals of the of the tournament of the TNT title tournament. Right. How was it for you? We talked earlier about how you basically debuted with no people. Right. What was that like for you to come out to this major <laughs> company in front of seven fans in Atlanta in a studio? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, I. I I've done enough of those in my past where, you know, in, a, in essence, yeah, they're, right. they're, they're tryouts, yeah. but they're worse because you're around all your peers that are just people who don't want you to get a job. They don't want you to do good. They want you to fail. And then, you know, coaches and people who are watching who've seen a zillion of these matches and could care less, and they're just going, ah, okay, we can do something or we can't do anything. So I've done plenty of the, the no audience, no reaction, you know, scenarios where you're just going out there and doing what you do. Um, so in a sense, this was like that, but this was for, this was for the, our audience, the TV cameras are on. And I think that's where my mentality went. It was like, I understand that, you know, and, and God bless all the, the guys and girls that 
were our audience in Atlanta uh, because they helped, you know, kind of keep your mentality strong with it just not being dead silent. There was something to react to, something to hear, you know, even though they were just kind of out there doing their part. It helped me tremendously. But um, like I said, you, the cameras turned on. I knew that I was performing for a live audience my first time back on live. Well, not my first time back on live TV in the U.S., but really on a, on a major stage in the U.S., the way I was being presented. And I knew I had to knock it out of the park. It was one of those things like this is my even though I'd had the debut with Jake and the slow saunter, the slow burn. And there were some some vignettes that had led up to it. We did a cool vignette. Where I'm just destroying I, all that this. was great. Yeah, that was awesome. I love that. That was at Darby's backyard or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was really, really cool. I love that vignette. And we'd had all that, but this was my first in ring exposure to the AEW audience, the American audience, you know, on Wednesday night, live in front of everybody, even though there were no people in the crowd. And it was one of those things. The camera was on, I was ready to go. And and once I hit that curtain and was in my mindset of being the murder hawk monster, I didn't notice it at all. Like I just was like, all right, let's go, let's do it tossed to marco from one corner to the other and and you know it was a great match too uh, thank you i i I enjoyed it i had fun you know (laughs) i don't know if marco enjoyed it as much (laughs) as i did but you know the fan base i think i think it was one of those good moments for me and for the business i say it that way i don't know that a lot of people knew what to expect when i came out there you know you've seen a thousand you know debut squash matches i don't know how else you want to say it um, and I'd like to believe that that was one of those that kind of caught people off guard, even within the company. It was kind of like, whoa, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is this is the Murder Hawk Monster. Right. I think you even said it on commentary on one of the matches. It was like, I didn't even know what the Murder Hawk Monster was, and there it is standing right in front of me. Yeah. So, and, you know, and that, that's kind of what I was trying to do was, you know, take this silly gimmicky name Murder Hawk Monster and make people go, Okay, that's what that fits. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. That right there, that guy, that's the Murderhawk right. monster. Right. Now I know. No, now I want to be see more of that. Last few things. Uh, the match you had with Dustin, I thought was amazing. Thank you. Uh, was had you worked with him before? Yeah, eleven years ago, one time. Really? Yes. Yeah. ECW. We oh, okay. We had one match on ECW, and uh, like, and that was a good one. But that was eleven years ago, and I, with a very uncertain sure person as myself, you know. Now yes. you know who you are. Yeah. He knows who he is. Oh. He, he did a great job of making you look like the murder hog monster yes. once again. Yeah. Yes. And Dustin's amazing. You know, he's been in this business as long as anybody and is still going at the highest quality you could mm. possibly expect from anyone. So the fact that he was able to go in there with me and we were able to produce what we did at the level we did in front of nobody again, you know, except for our peers again. Uh, but do it for a global audience. You know, it was it was a really, really cool experience to be able to go out there and do that with him. Um, you know, it's like I said, this roller coaster of rides been nothing but fast and furious so far, and it's been fun. What uh, what is is there such a thing as a murder hawk? <laughs> what is I, that? I don't I don't think so. I think there's. Where'd just, you come up with that name? Uh, so basically, it's an it, it's it's a, it's an ode to my hair and my style of wrestling. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like the the mohawk is there, but you know, you just call it a mohawk, and it's just a mohawk. Right. I was like, but you know, my style is to go out and basically murder everyone. So I was like, let's call it a murder hawk. <laughs> And it just sounded fun to say. And I, you know, either you just say murder hawk or you say murder hawk monster. I just think it's fun to say. And like I said, it's, it's fun creating that persona for people to go, what the hell is a murder hawk? What, what is it's a, a great, it's a great name. What's a murder hawk? Yeah. And then I go out there and do it. And then you go, that's a murder hawk. <laughs> now I get it. You know, and that's the fun part. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an ode to my silly hairstyle. What do you got in your hair there? What is that? 
it's it's about half my hair and yeah. half braided in extensions. Well, the black is yours, and the red yeah, is the, extensions. The right? darks, the darks, mine. How often do you have to get that done? I usually get it done right before I come to TV, so I'll take it out and let it, you know, not be just destroyed. Actually, so I had my hair. We'll go back and tell that story a little bit. So I had long hair, like yours right now. You yeah. know, I had crazy long hair. It was like down to my butt long, and for years with New Japan. And that yeah, was yeah. We were in New Japan. You yeah. had that area. That, and that was just my image that I'd had. And um, going into the G1, like I looked at the G1 when I found out I'm in the G1. Not just I was going to be in Dallas because it was in my hometown, but you're in the tournament. Your first matches with Will. I knew I already had a, an amazing match with Will, and we had to step it up. Because now they were kind of expecting something. Right. So I looked at the whole scenario as here's a reset button. Here's a chance to make an, op- uh, an impression that nobody expected. And I have to do it from the ground up. I have to create an image. I have to create a persona. I have to create, go out there and perform you know, at the level that people are expecting. Because if I do anything less... It's just going to be like, okay, well, Lance is, mm-hmm. Lance is in the tournament. Almost, Why is he in the tournament? Okay, he's just a filler in the tournament. I wanted to change every single person's perception about who I was, what they thought I was, and give them a whole new perspective on, on Lance Archer, the Murderhawk monster. And part of that was is I changed my hairstyle. And like Initially, I wasn't doing the braid. I just had it. Uh, I had the mohawk, but I had it all kind of poofed up with the red extension. Or it didn't even have red extension. My hair was basically the same length, just shaved on the sides red on the back side poofed up crazy and cool um and that was extremely hard for me to do the the hairstylist that did it was luckily in dallas i brought him backstage and he fixed my hair right before i went out <laughs> and then for the rest of the tournament me trying to do it just did not work right and then uh, i actually had a fan hairstylist in japan and i said can you braid my hair and she's like, yeah. And so I got her backstage and she braided my hair down and I liked it. And so I've stuck with it ever since. Have you been able to do that during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I, I, I take care of the, the, the lady who does my gotcha. hair. She, we, we meet up, you know, it's funny in when, secret. And, it's funny when you come here and you see all the guys like, like MGF uh, or Santana's. They usually have the shorter. It's just super high. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell who hasn't had a haircut in a yeah. while. That's why it's a good thing about having long hair. Yes, and just the braids. In my girl does braids, but she doesn't do braids like this. the The girl who is the stylist that actually does it in Dallas, you know, I, I feel bad for her because you know they've uh, they've had all their shops shut yeah. down. You know, everybody was shut down, and which doesn't make sense to me. It's one on one. If you put some gloves on or something, yeah. who cares, right? You know, and that's the thing. It's like so. I, I feel bad for. I mean, and to me, the gloves. It's like I mean, people wearing gloves is kind of funny because your skin, unless you've got you know, unless your hands are cut. Mm. That's your own natural barrier. Just don't touch your eyes, your right, mouth, right, 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 right. wash yeah, them point. when you're done. Yeah. You know, yeah, but she wears a mask. I wear a mask. We do our due diligence, and it takes her 20 minutes. She gets the hair, and I've been paying her a little bit more because, you know, trying to yeah. take care of her because, like, she's, her shop's been closed down. Um, so she's been taking care of me in a good way. So. For the murder hook. Okay. Last question for you. You kind of answered it, but you might want to elaborate. Your okay. favorite match you've ever had? Oh, my God. Jeez. I've had some, you know, just some really cool moments in all of my career. Um the Will Osprey one, you know, right now, just it's one of those that because it kind of set the bar for what everybody knows about me now. Like I said, I had that match with him before that in the New Japan Cup, but it wasn't seen as highly or excuse me, as much as the G1 was because, again, the G1 was on Access TV, live on Access TV. Um, it was a bigger deal because it was the G1. And there's a lot of people that to this day said, I'd never seen anything you'd done until that moment. Mm-hmm. And then I did that moment. And it was one of those things that changed everybody's minds and perception for the people who thought they knew me into something new. And for the people who had no idea who I was, 
created from their own words a lot of new fans so i have to put that one as probably the the best one i've ever had but i mean i can go back to uh, abyss and i had an amazing fun match in 2005 at mm-hmm. tna sacrifice one of the original the original sacrifice 2005 in the old uh, impact zone yeah. in orlando and then you know the different you know getting to work in the the tokyo dome you know my first wrestle kingdom was uh smith and i defending the iwgp titles and i got to ride a motorcycle into the, the oh, tokyo cool. dome stuff like that and then obviously the match i had with moxley my first singles title match ever in the tokyo dome you know and it was a good fun match and you know, we beat the crap out of each other but we did it and we had fun and, and the people loved it and it was different you know so there's so many of those good ones but i guess i just i have to go back to will just because like I said, it was that moment I think that has changed everything for my for me in my career to this point. You know, it's it's helped present these opportunities that I'm getting now. Without that moment, without that match, I don't think any of this would be happening right now. So I have to put it in as my number one. Well, you're on a roll, dude, and uh, like you said, now we know what a murder hawk is. <laughs> and a murder hawk monster. I hope I can expand on that. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, dude, and good luck. Well, I don't know if you're going to need luck this weekend <laughs> with, uh, with Cody. Great well, having I'm you. I'm going to kick Cody's ass. Don't worry. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>